Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You are listening to the American Dream Podcast. Did you know that Drift is part of just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I'm on a mission to change that. On this show, you will hear from leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. We'll talk about what the process looked like to get there, the obstacles they faced along the way, and the work we still have to do to build the new face of a diverse corporate America. Bienvenidos a todos to another episode of the American Dream Podcast. I am so excited to introduce today's guest. It's an honor, Lidian Rincón. Lidian is the Senior Director of Product Management at Google, where she leads the consumer shopping team. If you ever use Google for your research, right, you type a product you look in and you see all these prices and products, that's what she works on. That's what she develops with her team together. Make sure that we always include the engineers with the product managers because I know there's tension there. Lillian previously worked product manager for Google Assistant, Skype, and Microsoft. Lillian first became interested in computer science when she moved from Venezuela to Canada at nine years old, not speaking any English and being the only Spanish-speaking English as a second language student. Lillian loved math class because of the, it's a universal language. Lillian is going to tell us about how her childhood experiences impacts the work she's focused on today. So let's get into it. Welcome, Lillian, to the show. Thank you so much. Well, so happy to be here and chatting with you. You immigrated. You left kind of uh, Venezuela at nine years old. English is a second language. This is a very familiar story. Tell me about Canada. How did it go there? Was it cold? It was definitely cold. It was definitely lonely. I had no family there. And I remember, honestly, arriving in Vancouver and just, I was asking my mom and dad, I was like, where's all the people? Because, you know, in Caracas, where I was from, it was like thousands of people everywhere all the time. And then in Canada, everyone was inside. <laughs> it felt like anyways. <laughs> well, hopefully they were inside, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. True Latina. I moved when I was nine. I, maybe I can tell you a little bit about that. I moved when I was nine because... I had grown up in Venezuela and, you know, this was during the 80s, so that'll tell you how old I am. And there was, you know, a lot of turmoil, right? This is when the country, Hugo Chavez had a military coup. There was a lot going on in the country at the time. And my parents had the foresight to realize that maybe it wouldn't have been best for me and for my education. And so they applied to get a visa, you know, and it, it took a few years. I think they realized this when I was like four or five. And when I was nine, actually... We moved, you know, and actually we moved. I remember because I'll never forget this. It was a year where there was indeed a military coup and the country was in a state of emergency and we got up really early. It's like out of a movie, you know, and I remember my parents having money because if they needed to pay off the army to be able to make it to the airport, you know, you needed to figure it out. Luckily, we made the flight and that's when I left. And then I arrived in Vancouver and by the way, I normally vacation in Miami, actually. Most people like that that like to go to Disneyland and stuff, like so Disney World, right? I remember always thinking that in the U.S. and in other places, they spoke Spanish. Because in Miami, we would arrive in the airport, take the bus or the taxi, and everyone spoke Spanish. And we got to Vancouver, and I was like, oh, my God, nobody speaks Spanish. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my journey. My journey to Vancouver was uh, realizing I was the only Spanish-speaking person in my school and trying to figure it out. I know the feeling really well, except I did not have any money to get on the flight. Because... <laughs> <laughs> In case the army stopped me on my way out of Nicaragua. And so how long did you stay in Canada? 
I had this really, like many immigrant families, unique, not a unique, I think it's a very common experience, right? Of like both my parents were engineers, but they moved to Canada and they didn't have the same roles that they had. They left their senior positions and they could barely, you know, they spoke English, actually, they met in England, but not the Canadian culture, et cetera. And my dad, he struggled to keep his job. My mom was trying to find a job. And so it was it was a really hard time in the beginning. And so my first year, I remember the family really having a hard time of you know, acclimating to like the new way of life. And so we moved again, actually. Uh, we moved this time. My mom, I don't know if I mentioned, but my mom is Chinese, Indonesian. So we moved from Canada to Indonesia, tried to live there for six months, create a life there. That's when I went to school six days a week. And I really appreciated not going to school six days a week when I moved back. But then, you know, that didn't work either. It was really hard. And so we moved again to Canada. And then my dad... He still didn't want to let go of his country, of course, right? And so he moved back, and then we moved back to Venezuela, believe it or not. And then that didn't work either, because it was still as violent as ever and not a good place. And so we moved back to Canada. And anyways, it was just a really odd time, let's say, for a few years. I hear you. I understand. I have Venezuelan friends right now, and one of my friends, their father, they bring him here. And then he wants to go back and he gets back on that plane right now. And it's hard to get him back in here. And it's like, but that is something very special, right? And it's, I, I don't understand that, right? When you're older, how it's really hard to rip you from your identity and from the place where you were comfortable, For especially sure. if you have done well, right? Compared to us that we are kind of like taken out earlier and we have nothing and we see nothing. And so we're more adaptable and flexible, we're willing to do whatever it takes wherever we are, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's difficult for, for them. But, you know, I, I thank them for the sacrifice that they made and they're trying to find a place and they gave you the opportunity, right? Yeah, in hindsight, of course, right? You look back and now that I have kids, I look back and I'm like, the balls in some ways that my parents had to leave everything, right? And start afresh because people don't really think about that, but you leave everything, right? And you have to start fresh and it's a huge sacrifice, so... Absolutely. Yeah. Very thankful for my parents doing that. What do you tell your kids when they say, mom, why don't you buy me this? And why don't we go to Disneyland? <laughs> you know, it's funny, actually, because my husband and I, he's full blown American, you know, and didn't grow up with the type of childhood. It sounds like Elias, you, you and I had, right? And so we kind of have different perspectives on this. I tend to tell them all the stories, you know, probably sound like the old lady of like, I used to walk to school. And, you know, there was a period of my life where my stuff was in a container and I slept on the floor and I didn't have toys and I didn't get toys for many years. And, and my husband's the other extreme, you know, of like I had a room full of toys and I, every kid should get 10 toys Christmas, you know, so we, we tend to have those conversations in our family, you know, <laughs> the conversation is like, can we just give them only one gift for yeah. Christmas? You know, exactly. yeah, no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Compromise. Can we tell like all the family not to give them any gifts? Exactly. And I, I hear you. I'm telling them stories of like, they don't get it. It's like, I had one bicycle growing up and I was so happy. I couldn't believe I got this bicycle. I don't know how my mom bought this bicycle. At right. this and it was a used bicycle, obviously, right? It was not going to be a brand new one. I've been thinking a lot about this. I think we have to take them back and they have to spend the summer somewhere to actually see what life is like. Because I think as much as we can tell all these stories, it's, it's hard to really feel it until you experience a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah, it's an age-old dilemma, right? Uh, the good thing is that, another good thing is that 
there are many people that we can help and inspire here in this country that are still going through a lot of, of that and similar. And so that's that's what puts me to make this podcast and to share stories of people like you that are at the top of the game, you know, of working and building things in tech, uh, great jobs, great careers, and look where you came from and where you started and what you had to go through. So tell me about this quote of yours, perseverance with a passion. I saw an article. So, you know, actually, I think I said that when I was doing a talk for this Latinas in Tech conference, I was, I was telling the story, actually, of, you know, what happened after I got to Vancouver, right? And what happened after I realized I was the only Spanish-speaking student in this ESL class. And, you know, to give you some color, you know, this was in the early 90s, right, where in Vancouver, there was a lot of people from Hong Kong because of the the 92 regulation change. And, and basically, everyone spoke Cantonese, and I was the only Spanish-speaking person. It was very lonely. And I remember kind of failing a test once because I didn't speak the language. I missed the instructions because I didn't understand them. And I got so upset, so angry, you know, so there was this just like fire that, you know, I felt in my belly out of out of sadness and anger at the situation that I kind of, I just took, I took the matter into my own hands. I remember this because I just told my, I stopped my pity party. And then I told my mom, I said, okay, we're going to the supermarket. And I am going to because I had a dictionary, but a dictionary is so boring. And, you know, this was before anything that could actually teach you another language, right? So I said, I need Archie comic books and I'm going to use my cassette lyrics to like teach myself the language with something that I enjoy. <laughs> and honestly, that is actually how I ended up kind of teaching myself English was just like, okay, just find something I like to read and I'm going to translate every word and, until I figure this out. And then I'm going to listen to cartoons and Madonna lyrics, honestly, like I remember it's terrible, like a prayer, you know, like what does this mean? So yeah, so I mean, to me, that was like such a critical moment in my life of showing myself that, hey man, when you just hit that rock bottom or whatever, you just figure it out, you know, and you find something that you love and find something that you enjoy and you know you got to get it done and you just get it done. You know, you find a way to get it done in a funner way, let's say. I love it. I love talking to my people. <laughs> it's like and Madonna and oh my god that was so bad <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> you're Madonna like, and Debbie Gibson that just tells you the year you know like <laughs> I love it. no I'm 76 so like uh, I'm, 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 I, I've been there but the thing about it is this awesome it, so one of the things that I love I don't know I, I feel like I love independence and I love responsibility and I love caring I got some stories of mine. I love when I, whenever I was asked to rise to the, to the challenge, right? And to do that. It seems that you have, you kind of been doing that since you were around in age 15. Tell me more about that new yeah. identity, the new role that you've taken since that age, early age. Yeah. So I'm an only child. I guess I didn't mention that. Right. And like I said, my parents were really struggling with like living, figuring out their life in Canada. So during this time, my dad was going back and forth to Venezuela. My mom was basically single mom with me because my dad was trying to figure things out in Venezuela. And then when I was like 14, 15, you know, around that age, my my grandmother, my mom's mom, she had a stroke, you know, and my my mom decided that she wanted to be with her mom. And, you know, in hindsight, I, I didn't know any better. I think at some years later, I was like, that was kind of a crazy thing to do. But 
my dad was in Venezuela. My mom had to go to Indonesia. And so I had to figure it out. So they left me with a house and I didn't have my driver's license yet. You know, I had to figure it out. Like, how do you go to the grocery store? And, you know, I did have I did have an ATM card. So I had some money. So that's good. I didn't have to go figure out a job, too. But even just that whole thing of like, how do you function without parents? You know, how do you pay the bills? How do you go to the grocery store? How do you cook? Those basic things that I think growing up, you take for granted because you have a parent, you know, I I kind of had to figure out really quickly. And I, during that time, I think I learned a lot of things. One is, again, that, you know, you can figure it out when you have to, right? But two, also how to ask for help, honestly. And like, you know, at the time, the one thing that was consistent in my life was I played volleyball, you know, and I had my team and I had their parents. And I had a kind of extended family through friends that really... I think if it wasn't for them, I don't know if I would have gotten through high school. That's amazing. I think, I don't know, you know, nowadays you you say something, you do something, parents, and you get yelled at, you go on Twitter and it's like, <laughs> my story is very is similar, right? Uh, I was, my mother had to go do a study in Sweden. She had an opportunity to do that. And I said, you should go. And she left us with my stepfather, but it didn't work out. And I spent a year, 11 years old, and I took care of my brothers. Oh, my God. And I had my grandmother-in-law. She would help out. She lived nearby. But I love that. you know. And so other kids would be like, right now, like demolished. I don't know. Maybe I have mental problems, right, and traumas. But I love that opportunity because I learned so much. I had the key. I had a little budget. And I had to figure out food how to cook, I had to wash my clothes to go yeah. to school. I, I went to school. Like I would hitch, I would like, I imagine that, like I did everything like an adult. Like, <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I have found a lot of people actually that um, a lot of very amazing people at Google who have had kind of similar experiences. So I wonder if it's in some way a weird experiment, you know, with some positive success of people who somehow figure it out earlier, you know, than college. So by the time you get to college, you were like, more mature, you know? (laughs) Like you said, it's just the maturity of like, because that's what life is. I mean, a lot of people in their 20s right now, 30s, they do not know how to support a home, right? Or how to support a family or how to hold a job and and things like that and how to solve complex problems. And so, you know, we are fortunate that we were ones that rose to it and we're able to build on that, right? Yeah. I was talking to a Sequoia partner about this, right? Of like, how how can Latinos make it into the eyes, into the visibility of Sequoia, because Latinos sometimes think that it's just a, oh, you have to go to Stanford to be invested in Sequoia. And he talks about, and he told me, no, it's like, we love that you and David were outsiders, right? And that you have this grit. Like, we kind of like it, people that have the grit to overcome problems more than their pedigree, right? It's just hard to find it. And so that's what we want Latinos to go and tell them, right? And tell other VCs, we have that grit. And Latinos don't know that those things that we call hardships and, and stuff like that could be our biggest assets. Absolutely. Uh, like they were for you. That's awesome. I love that word too, because I think that is a, actually a good definition of what's the outcome, right? Is you develop that grit. You develop that ability to handle really tough situations and know that even if you don't know and you feel like it's a crisis, like you'll figure it out. So, so how do you go from volleyball 15, you're on your own, you're yeah. like, you're, you're growing up quickly and you end up at Microsoft? Give me a quick on that. Yeah, well, let's see. So I 
somehow, even after my parents left, continued with the math thing, really loved math. Like that was throughout my career. I actually went to university thinking I was going to be a doctor because I was one of these kids that wanted to help others and just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I wanted to be a doctor. And my first year in college, I decided that I couldn't play volleyball. I was playing on the volleyball team in college and we were away so often, you know what I mean? And anyways, for better or for worse, I loved math. I didn't want to be in all these all day chemistry days. And so I switched majors. So I switched to computing science. It's computing science for those of you that don't know is mainly math, a lot of math, a lot of coding. Coding is fun. There there are complex problems that you kind of have to solve versus memorizing. That's the thing that I enjoy the most. And so anyways, I studied computing science had a job lined up out of college. And then you remember the the bubble burst in the early 2000s. So then I didn't have a job. So went through some turmoil there again. I thought I was top of my class or, you know, top female of my class. And then I didn't have a job. And so then I applied for the Rhodes Scholarship, made it pretty far, didn't get it. So also, again, was devastated. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And then ended up getting a, a, an engineering role in, in a company called Crystal Decisions in Vancouver. At the same time, got accepted to do my PhD at University of Toronto. And I remember flying out there at, at, with my dad, actually, but having so much fun working, to be honest with you, because at, at the time, you know, remember offshoring, like a, traveling to India and to China and to Paris because we got acquired by a French company and I was just loving work. And so... Anyways, I ended up staying. Now, I didn't. I deferred my my PhD and then got recruited by by Microsoft to work as a program manager, product management, uh, let's say, in Redmond. So then I moved from Vancouver to Redmond because of that. But that was kind of the journey of. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, just I, I love the parallels, and I think this is what we we need to remind people of our failures, right? Because. Sometimes we people get overwhelmed, like first, like, oh, how am I going to ever become anything, right? Or I look at everything that is going wrong with me or not accepted to this, not accepted to other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, I will say, because I probably said that wrong, I applied to move to Redmond, to move to Microsoft, by the way, because my boyfriend at the time was at Microsoft. And I honestly, I got rejected, I think, twice before I finally got in. Like, yeah. so I, I also want to remind people that it's okay to fail. It's okay to try. Interviews are a crapshoot half the time. So like, you should never give up, you know? Yeah. yeah well, if we're now speaking of our failures, <laughs> I interviewed like twice at Google and got rejected. I got rejected by Facebook too. And so that's why I decided to start companies because I, you know, I would get all these emails. So I interviewed at Google earlier. I think what happens, like I built some software when Gmail was launched and I built a little hack to it. And, and so, so Googlers reach out to me and says like, wow, we want to hire you. And then from the interview process did not go anywhere. I'm sure I didn't know how to answer flipping coins or something. And then I did, and then I went to Harvard for computer science and then Google was on site. So I thought, you know, maybe now, you know, with a Harvard degree on computer science did not go well. Every time I get an email from a Google recruiter, it's like, can we talk to you? And I'm like, ah, no worry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Should keep trying, Elias. Like, that's the moral of the story is never give up. You've only tried twice. <laughs> exactly. Getting rejected by a company or something, you know, it doesn't mean anything. You can try again multiple times. It's like we got to encourage people to keep trying and one thing will work. 
Yeah. And it'll be an amazing life that you'll have and not, you're not like give up. Right. Uh, it happens to all of us. You're not there just because of that. So let's talk about, I'm a big fan, Bill Gates, Think Week. What's Think Week? Yeah. So let's see. So I joined Microsoft and I was a junior PM and it was 2005, I think. Yeah. And Bill Gates was still CEO of Microsoft at the time. And, you know, not knowing left from right, I was brand new PM. I decided to participate in this in this program. So Bill Gates would have these quote unquote think weeks where basically anyone in the company could write a think week paper on any idea. You could be the president, you could be you know, the most junior person, you could write a paper. And he would have these technical assistants that would read all of these hundreds, thousands of papers. And then he might read one or two or a few. And if you were lucky, he would comment and fund it. So many actually products up to the time, like when I wrote the paper, I think were, were kind of started that way um, at Microsoft. And so anyways, not knowing left from right and having whatever confidence, I guess, and just having fun, you know, I found, I found something I was passionate about, which was at the time artists, you know, I was working in display ads at the time. And I thought, Hey, you know, couldn't we create like a marketplace, like a self-serve marketplace so that smaller businesses could connect with, with artists to have better creative, you know? So it was just, it was just a thesis. It was a hypothesis. And I wrote this paper partnered with a great UXer who was also junior and we both created this uh, paper and my GM liked it. And I think he added his name on the paper that helped. Yeah. And then Bill Gates liked the paper and funded it. And honestly, that was sort of the bootstrap to my career at Microsoft, you know, and I got to actually build something like the thing I wrote about. It took about three years, but it became the asset management platform for at the time Ad Center, which was the self-service platform. What a story. That's awesome. I thought think week, but doesn't he, doesn't he have like a week that he disappears into the woods yeah. to read? To read. Yeah. To read. Sometimes to read these papers. Other, I think oh, now, God. now he goes off to read all lots of books. Right. And he got it, got it, got blogs it. about them, I think in LinkedIn and so on. <laughs> yeah. I'm an extrovert. I don't buy the idea of going into a cabin and not see people, but. Uh, gotcha. But, gotcha. But he loves that. Yeah. Congrats. That's amazing. Right. So you're a star at Microsoft and then Google comes and sends you one of those emails. It's like, come and work at Google. Uh-huh. No, then, then actually I kept going up in Microsoft and then got recruited to come and move to the Bay Area. So I live in the Bay Area now to work for a, a company that was at the time owned by Silver Lake called Skype. What I didn't realize was the day that I started at Skype, the bomber. We were getting bought. Steve Ballmer, then CEO of Microsoft, was buying buying Skype. And I didn't realize this until a year after. They I bought Skype because of you. That's what I tell everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, they're like, we're going to get Lillian back. Just buy Skype. <laughs> How many? Was it $2 billion? How much was it? I don't remember. Yeah, something like that. It was, it was a great, great buy. Yeah. I remember where Skype first came out. And we were all blown away. Like, this is the thing that could break through all the firewalls. We would use it at IBM early on. Yeah. Is yeah. the best voice over IP at the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, so then when I was at Skype, yeah, I worked on lots of different things from the mobile apps to you name it. And actually, it was kind of like the Think Week thing, you know? When I was at Skype, I when Satya Nadella then became CEO of Microsoft, he had these sort of new IC level roles. So I was a GPM at the time, and I kind of took a risk. You know, I switched careers, and I became an IC, a senior IC, 
leading what he called these high value scenarios or HVSs. So I was leading the meetings HVS for Microsoft. And it gave me an incredible opportunity to learn different things about what that were going on in the company, especially in research. And so this is the time that I started nerding out on some of the machine learning sort of new opportunities that we were seeing, especially with translation. And so through this sort of risk that I took, you know, I managed to essentially get all this information and learning. Eventually it led to writing a memo. So it wasn't a Think Week paper, but it was a memo basically on something that I called at the time conversations as a platform, which was basically the bot framework, you know, kind of like the framework for like, hmm, you know, today a lot of people at Skype come to talk to people, but what if we had bots that people could come talk to, you know, and they could be entertainment bots. We were talking to Lucas Films actually for a while there. They could be business bots, you know? And so in 2016, which was the year of messaging bots, if you remember, Satya Nadella at Microsoft, sorry, we would have a summit called Build, which is like the Microsoft summit. And one of the big themes that we announced that year was bots coming to Skype and the bot framework. And so through that, I think I got caught the attention of Google and one thing led to another and I joined the Google assistant team. That's awesome. There's no such thing as a linear path, right? You, you went from a GPM to an individual contributor there and yeah. let the greater things, right? It's just people get so hung up on titles and ladders and stuff. That's right. I love that your curiosity and, uh, and connecting the dots. You're a visionary. You see where things are going. You follow your nose and you find things that, that other people don't, right? Yeah. Some people are just hitting it in the face and they still don't realize it. Yeah. yeah. And to say a lot of these fail, but you just have to keep trying, you know? <laughs> yeah. I benefited from the bot craze myself, right? We started Drift. We started with a messaging platform for customers, but with that bot craze, you know, I think there was a lot of people that were against bots and saying, no, no, no bots. And some of our competitors were doing that. And, and we we decided to go the opposite, right? When they said, you zag, it, we said, we're going to embrace bots. And I remember being in a lot of those events around that time and people hearing about Microsoft and that was a validation to the system at the time. But there was all these companies doing all this cool stuff. And I was like behind with Drift and bots and they were all fundraising and stuff like that. And a lot of those went away and a lot of the bot functionality became more mainstream now, but we were able to pass that ride out and grow as a company. I'm really fond of bots. And, and really they just really scratch the surface of what we can really do still, right? Yeah. It's gonna get better. I feel like, yeah, that was the beginning, you know, like in any technology phase, right? It, maybe it was the bot framework, maybe in 2016 was too early for its time, but there's definitely a role, I think, for it to play. So now tell us a little bit about your, your own rise at Google. I think this, I saw an article or something on LinkedIn, your top 25 most powerful women at Google. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't say that, but there's amazing women at Google. That's for sure on that list. And I actually, that's how I ended up coming to Google, believe it or not. It wasn't through a recruiter. It was Johanna Gerks, who was a VP of YouTube at the time, who it was an opportunity to talk to her. And I, I was like, wow, I would love to talk to her. She's very inspiring. And then beyond her meeting people like Alyssa Murphy and Liz Reed, just some really incredible, amazing women leaders that inspired me, let's say, to like work at Google and sort of be like them one day. <laughs> I big believer in role models, right? And meeting your heroes and, and seeing that they're kind of normal people or we are just like them. 
as much as they are like us, they just happen to start these things earlier, right, in their lives, in their journeys. Exactly. And you reached out to meet them and look where you end up, right? Yeah. Uh, it's why I love telling other people's stories and hearing them here, right? So they can see that. It, and Google is la creme de la creme, right? Being in one of the top companies in the world, being respected there, recognized, launching and building products with great engineers, great infrastructure. It is a dream that you are there reminding us Latinos can also be there. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, and at Google, there's so much love, I think, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. I will tell you, like, this is not lip service to it. I feel it. You know, I felt that the year I joined these senior women leaders, Latino leaders, they reached out, they said, hey, how can I support you? And these are the little things that no one's forced to do, but actually really matter and actually embracing somebody into a company, especially at a senior role. You know, I joined as a director and honestly, I often look back and I think if I didn't have these connections, I don't know if I would have stayed at Google. I think it, it might have been hard because it's such a culture shock, you know, to join a company of this size at, at a senior level. I kind of hate talking about imposter syndrome, but I don't know if this yeah. is my notes here, but it's like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm fucking tired of imposter syndrome and I don't want to deal with imposter syndrome again, <laughs> but people do deal with it, right? And yeah. have it. Did you ever feel it? For sure. Even most recently. So I, you know, I joined Google to join the Google Assistant. It was an amazing ride. You know, we launched Assistant, put it on all the phones, new devices, invented completely new scenarios. It was amazing. I loved it. And then I, just a year ago, actually, I had the opportunity to do the role I'm doing now, which was, hey, be the product lead for shopping on Google. And I really went through imposter syndrome, to be honest with you, both when I joined the assistant team and also this role, I think because there are such amazing people who have been at this for way longer than I have. And even the people on my team, honestly, when I met the PMs on my team, oftentimes I feel like, wow, I'm so blessed to have PhDs from MIT and, you know, this person who started a company and sold it. And I oftentimes I'm like, I should probably be working for these people. You know, I, I have, I go through that, but then I do my role for a bit. And then I remember, okay, no, I, there are reasons why I'm here, you know, and things that I've done in my career that have positioned me well to set the vision and set the direction of, of what I think this product should do. So, yeah, but no, I do go through the cycle, like you said, of imposter syndrome and then realizing, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's different for me, but if I were in your position, I could see how it would happen. I remember a friend of mine that was much younger than I went to Google and had the inventor of Python working for him. Yeah. And I'm just like, what are you saying? So, yes, he works for me. Like he builds yeah. all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, it's, it's a crazy place, right? Because they have brought the best of the best in the world and you're making us proud for being there. Thank you. And getting there. Any advice, less advice for young Latinas in CS, what they can do? Should they go to Google? Absolutely, they should go to Google. They should apply. And like we just said, keep applying. It's hard. You may get rejected. That's okay. Try to create, study hard. If you can get a degree, I don't, I think that doesn't matter what school, you know, like I think you should just work hard and try to get as much experience as you can. And then, yeah, have the perseverance to keep trying. Find something you're passionate about and go for it. Yeah. Everybody out there, it's never too late. Look at the road that you had to take. So windy, so many different continents, back and forth, ESL, one of a kind in Vancouver, and, and look at where you are today, right? I think in some ways I feel like 
things are easier now for Latinos than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. I think the times are better. But what happens is not enough of us are taking the chances that they need to be taking to be in these positions and to be in these places, to take the schools, et cetera. So yeah. I hope that this helps them. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful chatting with you. Thanks for listening to the American Dream Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.